We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 14. I'm Kane Pittman, and I'm joined as always by Ty Windish. And Ty, we are finally, as Bucks fans, we know this is a this is the time of year where we get serious about basketball. Every year is playoff time for us. We won 60 games this year, uh, best in the NBA. Are you ready for this? I could not be more ready, but I'm I'm excited now. I, I think I feel like we almost have too lofty expectations because maybe I'm just bougie, but I'm now I'm like. Let's get to the real basketball. Let's get to the second round. So maybe um maybe I'm not taking this seriously enough right now. No, clearly my intro was a little bit uh, sarcastic because we, I I just I couldn't help. One of the things I, I I said several times last night at the game was that it was just unbelievable to me that I we turn up to this game and it's game 82, and the Bucks are just like, well, you know what? We're not going to play anyone tonight because uh, we're the number one seed. We, are, we have the best record in the NBA. And Oklahoma City, maybe you'll play Paul George uh, injured. Uh, Russell Westbrook, another MVP. What are you, you going to do with these guys? You're going to uh, play them because uh, you really need to win. But we're the Milwaukee Bucks, and, and we don't really need to win because our position's already locked up. So it was such a weird uh, sort of position and unfamiliar position, I guess, Um you know, for people that have watched the Bucks for a long time, but uh, the Bucks did finish the season. They went down one twenty-seven to one sixteen, uh, and really, I don't think anyone was disappointed about that. The uh, the the crowd at Fiserv Forum gave the team a standing ovation as the time wound down. Uh, that may seem weird when you lose by double digits, but no one really cared. Everyone's ready for the playoffs right now. Everyone's been ready for the uh, you know the playoffs to start for a long time, and the Bucks. Uh, clearly rolled out a lineup that was interesting, similar to the lineup <laughs> they uh, played against Atlanta the other week where uh, this time Giannis doesn't play, Bledsoe doesn't play, Brook Lopez doesn't play, which was shocking to me that they would give him rest in game 82, but they did. Uh, obviously, Tony Snell didn't play, Miritich didn't play. I mean, no one played. So uh, Chris Middleton was the only real normal starter to play, and he played really well, but even he only played 16 minutes. So it was the Tim Frazier 48-minute train with DJ playing 46 and Bonzi Colson playing 44. So uh, I think the Bucks made their intentions pretty clear in this one. What did, you, uh, did, you, did you take anything from this? What did you see uh, in this Thunder game? I didn't take a ton from it. It's one that I've been kind of – very much warning people about for weeks. And just to be clear, I was joking in my intro too. I'm very excited for this first round. It is 
it is very strange for the Bucks to be in a position that they can like look down on game 82 and their first round opponent as like, Oh, whatever. But it's, it's, it's still definitely very exciting for, you know, playoff basketball to be here, regardless of anything else. I mean, we've seen the Bucks miss a couple of years recently. Um, I have a, a random aside question. Uh, you coming from a different background, obviously you're familiar with the NBA, but in Australian sports, like, is it, is it, do, do teams ever just take a game off like this when seating is set? Is that a thing or is that just like a totally like American thing? No, no, it's, it's definitely a thing. And, uh, um, I, you know, I think in all sports and Australian football, there's been a little bit of controversy about that, that that is something that when it gets to the last week, uh, teams, whether it, maybe it is for draft picks or maybe it is for, uh, the fact that that they've already got their position locked up for the for the uh, playoffs the week after they will rest people or not play people or if they're traveling they'll just leave people at home I mean this is a thing that I think um, it's hard to avoid and and the last night of the NBA season is one of those completely random times where you don't know who's going to be playing or what's going to be playing it uh, you know and when you look at this game at the start of the season and you think wow okay see in Milwaukee this could be this could be a game that could really mean something at the end of the year. And then you get to last night, and again, there's no incentive for the Bucks to play anyone. And I, I asked Bud after the game whether Chris Middleton, whether the starters drew straws and Chris Middleton was the one that lost, so he had to actually play in this game because it's, you know, that it's it's ridiculous. I mean, they just didn't have enough bodies to actually play. They wanted to rest all their, their absolutely vital guys. Uh, but it was it was a funny situation, and, and in the end, you sort of felt like Oklahoma City were going to, you know, just cruise to a victory. But uh, even still, I mean, it took them shooting 23 for 54 from three, so 42%. Uh, and they really went crazy. Uh, Dennis Schroeder had eight threes on the night, uh, eight for 15. He shot uh, in his 32 points. Jeremy Grant had 28, 28 points as well. So they <laughs> obviously know Paul George, but again, it's just ridiculous that the Thunder needed uh, all these sort of performances to to win by double digits. Well, the Bucks had career highs from uh, DJ Wilson had 18 points. That was a career high. Bonte Colson had a career high 21, and Tim Frazier had a career high 29. So, uh, as we've seen many times before, the Bucks had some guys uh, move in and play really well. But uh, I think a lot of fans in the arena, and I know I certainly was. Uh, keeping an eye on the other games that were happening that night. And really, in the end, it came down to the Orlando Magic and, and Charlotte Hornets game. Uh, if Charlotte won, the Bucks were going to get the Magic. If Orlando won, uh, the Bucks got Detroit. Orlando wins the game by eight points, and the Bucks are going to face Detroit in the first round starting Sunday night at 6 p.m. I think when you take a step back, this is the matchup that the Bucks probably want and again we've gone over it many times that we don't really think that there's going to be any concern either way but uh when you look at what's happened during the season when you look at a few different things happening with detroit leading into the playoffs this is really an optimum matchup for the bucks yeah i couldn't agree more i mean we've said it so many times yeah none of the teams should have been that concerning but if there was one out of all the contenders for that spot late there was about four or five of them Detroit was probably number one for a while now. Just the, I mean, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit. I mean, anyone who's watched all year has known the Bucks have not had any problems handling Detroit all season. Four wins, I think three of them by double digits. At very non-competitive, largely games, and I think Detroit just doesn't have answers for a lot of the things the Bucks do. And Milwaukee clearly has no problem containing Detroit. And you mentioned some of their circumstances. I mean, they've been slumping lately a lot of it i think has to do with blake griffin whose knee is ailing uh he's you know was a decoy for part of their games recently he didn't play at all for some of their crucial minutes you know the team pulled out a great comeback in their 81st game i believe without him that you know they could they almost missed the playoffs entirely so you're looking at a team that the bucks have handled when they were playing better who now seem to be you know not doing the best milwaukee has home court I don't know. I don't even know if this gets to five games, much less seven, but it's uh, all things seem to be going the Bucks for the first round here. Yeah, I think that's a fair call. You touched on how easily the Bucks have been able to handle uh, the Pistons. They win all four games, which was, uh, I, I believe, was the first time in franchise history. I'm just scrolling through. It was. So the first time they sweep the Pistons in, in franchise history in a four-game series, uh, they win two of those games by 23 points. They win another by 10. 
they had the one close game was only three points. But really, uh, you know, four games, the Bucks uh, win by an average of 14.7 points. The Pistons haven't won uh, on the road against Milwaukee uh, since February 27, 2016. So, I mean, all the signs are pointing to to the Bucks being <laughs> having a comfortable run in the first round, which, again, as we've touched on, in itself feels like a crazy thing to say. Given the Bucks haven't been out of the first round since 2001, but uh, I, I just think that this Pistons team doesn't have a lot of answers for what Milwaukee's going to be able to throw at them. Um, offensively, the Bucks I think, uh, are able to nullify Andre Drummond in a big way, and we've seen that a lot through the early games. Book Lopez is going to play a major, major part in this series, and you should expect him to shoot a lot of threes uh, in this series and, and keep Drummond out there. So... Uh, I, I'm not sure where you want to head in the initial chat about this series, but uh, what what would be sort of your your initial thoughts uh, when when you seen that this obviously series was locked in? Well, I, I went back. My initial thoughts were just you know I figured this was this was great. I, I, most teams don't have an answer for Giannis. The Pistons certainly don't, and he hasn't really scored a bunch against Detroit. He's got averaging twenty point eight points in his four games against the Pistons but shooting 58% from the field and also averaging seven assists, he's been able to play make well against them. And really what, what, what stuck out to me is I went to look at the Bucks numbers against Detroit this season. And outside of Ersan, who played one game, 13 minutes, wasn't great. I think it was in his, his bad spell. And George Hill, who we know has improved a lot since earlier in the season. Take those two guys out. Every rotation player who's played against Detroit, the worst field goal percentage is Chris Middleton at 51.2%. So Giannis shooting 58%, Eric Bledsoe almost 52%, Chris 51%, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, who unfortunately won't play in the series, shot 64% against Detroit. Brooke Lopez shot 50% and 46 from three. Tony Snell shot 60%. He might not play either, either 40% from three. Sterling Brown, 58% from the field, 57% from three. Pat Connaughton, 64%. DJ Wilson, 62%. Literally every <laughs> rotation player on the Bucks, aside from Hill and Ersan, who are playing much better generally than they were back then when the Pistons and Bucks matched up, has torched this team. And that's, I mean, I think we've both mentioned it before, but, you know, you kind of know what you're going to get from Giannis, from Chris, from Bledsoe, sort of. I mean, last playoffs were obviously not ideal, but lately you've known what you're going to get from, from Eric Bledsoe as well. But when the, when the role players are really excelling, a team like the Bucks is just nigh impossible to beat unless you're like the Warriors, like, when everyone on the team is finding success, it just becomes – that's when they're in their full juggernaut form. And the Pistons have not been able to stop pretty much anyone from doing really well against them. Yeah, and, and, and it, that, that really doesn't surprise me when you read out those percentages because when you think about uh, some of the uh, the teams that Giannis has really been able to, in terms of their defense, really bend them <laughs> completely out of shape and do whatever that he wants to, to do with them, you touched on the assists he's been able to have, but uh, it, it just doesn't surprise me because, again, I already touched on Drummond and the way the Bucks can manipulate him out of the paint, which takes away a, a major option uh, defensively for them. I mean, really an elite defender in, in the paint. So you drag him out of that area, Giannis, all of a sudden things open up. If, if people want to help, then Giannis, and this is the big underrated thing with Giannis that we've seen this year and developing through last year and the previous years, is his playmaking, his basketball IQ, uh, his feel for the game and feel for how he can man- manipulate the defense has really improved. So for Giannis, that, this becomes uh, you know, a really easy game for him and, and a team that he can really pick apart. And if he can't get to the rack and get those easy points, and as you said, shooting 58% from the field, then he's going to find the open man. And maybe it's still in Brown in the corner that, that we know is deadly from the corner. Maybe it's Brooke Lopez out in the perimeter that's going to hit a three. Uh, it, could, it could be Chris Middleton. It could be Eric Bledsoe. So many options for the Bucks, And that's why they've had no problem against this Detroit defense. Again, if you see and you think about some of the ways that teams have been able to, uh, or not been able to, but the way they've tried to defend Giannis, maybe they go with Andre Drummond and leave him in the paint and say, you're going to defend Giannis. Again, this is not going to help the Pistons because we've seen Giannis completely destroy uh, Rudy Gobert to the point where Utah couldn't even play him anymore. Drummond is not quick enough. His feet are not quick enough to be able to defend Giannis once he gets a ball on the perimeter and gets downhill. So uh, I, I, I've thought about this a lot during the day. 
I've tried to figure out what the the Pistons could try and do to stop this offense, uh, and I, I just can't find a way that they're going to be able to slow the Bucks. No, down. I mean they have no Giannis stoppers whatsoever. I think, you know, you mentioned Drummond. That's probably their best option, right? I mean, Blake is if Blake plays, and I don't think it's certain that he does. I don't. Have, I don't know one way or the other. I don't have any inside intel, but it seems to be at least a question. You know, I think Blake at his peak physical form these days probably wouldn't be able to do it. I don't think he's laterally quick enough. Certainly if he's banged up, he just can't. It's a non-starter. Their wings, and I've seen Pistons bloggers and, and writers and reporters tweet about this, their wings are tiny. You know, like Luke Kennard will see time at the three. Like, that's a joke. I mean, you, you just can't even consider putting a guy like that. I mean, Glenn Robinson the third, who barely plays for them, is probably their biggest wing, and he's like 6'6". So now – you know, we're ruling out Blake. We're going to assume they don't try to put a guy who's 6'5 on Giannis because he'll dunk literally everything. All you really have left is Drummond and maybe his old pal Thon Maker. Like, I don't know who else on the Pistons could even try to do it. And if you have – I mean, you already mentioned it, but if you have Andre Drummond try to guard Giannis, then the rim is wide open. There's no one left on that team who can defend the rim vertically. So anytime – if Giannis gets doubled at all, and they'll probably have to because Andre Drummond cannot hold Giannis one-on-one someone's either going to be open from three or open to the rim. Like it's not a solvable defensive equation for Dwayne Casey and the Pistons. And one of the other things about their size that's funny is even if you don't have to guard Giannis with that undersized like guards or, or wings, we know how Chris Middleton looks at it when he, a smaller guy guards him. That's, that's open season. He loves that. He'll post up and hit one of those easy post-up fadeaways every single time. If you have like a six, four heavens forbid a six, three guy on Chris Middleton. So I think Detroit's lack of size on the wings is really going to hurt them in this series. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> I was glad that you sort of uh, went in that direction with Middleton because as soon as you started talking about the size, uh, we know that Giannis can can get whatever he wants on on anyone, no matter how big they are. But the fact that you started talking about the size or the lack of for Detroit, the first person I thought of was Chris Middleton because I agree. That's where he absolutely feasts. He loves that situation where he gets a smaller guy on him. And again, this is a guy, Chris Milton, that we know makes tough shots. He enjoys taking tough shots. He admits that himself. But uh, you put him in a situation with someone smaller on him, he's just going to get to his spots all night long. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I just, this the Detroit are one of those teams when you looked at and you even conclude Charlotte and you conclude Miami, these teams that didn't make the playoffs. Detroit was the one team that I really just felt that we're just going to have, uh, you know, mismatches at every single position. Milwaukee were going to be able to handle them uh, right across the board. The one person that they have in their team that has had an elite season, he's going to have an all NBA uh, season is Blake Griffin. And he's been incredible. Uh, but they get to this point in the season. We don't even know if he's going to play. And, and this is the crazy thing. I mean, they asked Dwayne Casey, or a Pistons reporter asked Dwayne Casey last night if he was going to be okay for game one. His response was, we'll see. And I think that's a that's a kind of regulation comment from a coach who doesn't want to give a lot away ahead of a playoff series. But in the case of Blake Griffin, this is a guy that's got a history of being injured and, and you know, Clippers fans will say, a history of being injured at this time of year. So uh, if he's not good to go, Oh, he's not at his absolute best. Uh, I mean, this th- this could get really ugly because uh, even though the Bucks have been able to win all four games against the Pistons, uh, Blake Griffin Blake Griffin is averaging twenty four points, eight rebounds, and seven assists in those four losses where they lost by an average of fifteen points. <laughs> so Blake Griffin has been putting up numbers, and they they have not been able to get close to Milwaukee. Those games were sad too because it just felt like late. You knew that the Pistons had lost. Blake just kept on trying, man, just kept on ISOing, and it wasn't enough. But, I mean, yeah, without him, it's really – you're just really asking a whole, whole lot. And one thing I didn't know, I did a I did a, a quick pod with my guy Aaron Johnson that's going to go up on his uh, his Palace of Pistons or pod soon. But he, he informed me, and this is a, a thing apparently Pistons people talk about often. I guess Brooke Lopez just handles Andre Drummond. And I didn't – I hadn't paid enough attention to that in the series this year because, like I said, I mean – Milwaukee was crushing Detroit for most of it. But I guess like going back years and years, like to his Nets days, apparently he's just always handled Andre Drummond. So that's just just another thing that makes it even tougher for the Pistons. Yeah, there was there was times this year where the Bucks were playing the Pistons and uh I 
uh, that's exactly what I noticed. I was just like, well, Andre Drummond is just a completely broken man out there. And it, it does make some sense when you, when you think about the positioning that um, Drummond, uh, sorry, Lopez puts himself uh, in. He doesn't uh, leave that area. He, like, he gives no windows for, for players like Drummond who do all their scoring in the restricted area. The, Andre Drummond isn't getting out there and shooting jump shots. So, uh, for for uh, for Lopez, a guy that stays at home is disciplined, defends uh, you know straight up, and, and it's just a huge frame. It's a really really tough matchup. So um, again, it's just one of those things. It's just another matchup where the key player for the Pistons, the Bucks seem to have a guy that match up well. But interestingly enough, there is a a sort of I, I guess it's a fun storyline. I think it's a fun storyline, and, and someone asked me about this today. Uh, whether I thought that, or whether I wanted Thonmaker to have a really good series. And I, I felt like uh, the question was sort of baiting me into saying something that uh, I didn't want to say, but uh, <laughs> I, I answered it truthfully. I'm like, yes, I would love Thon to have a great series. And I also said that I think most Bucks fans would want Thon to have a great series. I, I think that I, I fully expect when Thonmaker checks into the game, uh, Ed, that's if he doesn't start, if Blake doesn't play, which he did start uh, last night. Uh, I, I think that he's going to get a good reception. I think Bucks fans like this guy. I think uh, they they want him to do really well. Uh, they want him to have a really good NBA career. I think he uh, sort of really endeared himself to the fans in Milwaukee. And I would love to see Thonmaker have a great playoff series, but only if the Bucks sweep the Pistons. And and the Bucks move on, and the Pistons get on with their off season. I, I'm happy for maybe for Thon to have a great series because uh, you know I think he deserves that. We all know he works as hard as anyone, but it's an interesting storyline. Thon coming back, and we've seen in the past that he's been a real difference maker in the uh, in the postseason. So this is uh, it's kind of funny how it worked out, but it was something on paper that looked like it could have been a possibility when the trade was on. Yeah, I mean, I think a uh, couple things to note. I, I've heard this, you know, brought up a couple times too. I think a lot of people are interested in this, maybe just because there's not a lot generally that's super interesting about this series. Uh, playoff Don, as good as he is, is 0-2 in series. So even if Playoff Don does show up, I mean, good series. I mean, it'll go longer than we want it to, but I think the result is is the desired one. And Playoff Don has never matched up with Playoff Giannis before, which uh, I think changes things for just about anyone. But no, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not rooting against Don. I'd love for him to have a nice little series and get paid. He's a restricted free agent this summer. Or does he have one more year? No, well, well, well the Bucks picked up the options. So. Okay, so there's one more option here, and then, and then he's restricted. Okay, so yeah. I mean, good for Thon. You know, have a good year, have another good year, get some money. I'm not rooting against him. I mean, the trade demand was odd, but I, I think the fact that he wasn't playing, I don't think many Bucks fans were, like, mad. I mean, it's... Not to be mean to Thon, but it was just kind of a non-factor as the season rolled on. So, yeah, it's not not too uh, not too. I wouldn't say it's stressful. That's for sure. I mean, you know, life can be stressful. You 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 get it too early these days. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance should not be. And that's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. Kind of like this series. At GetEthos.com, there's no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars. No hours of paperwork of meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. The playoffs will cause enough of it probably as we get to the later rounds. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in mere minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. Get it, Kane. Getethos.com. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, you always leave me speechless. The <laughs> listeners know that. I honestly, I'm, I'm, almost, I'm always a little bit shook after that, after the ad raid. But no. I uh, getting back to the original point, I would say that no, I don't think it's stressful. This playoff thon thing, uh, there's been a lot of talk about that today. I mean, the thing with playoff thon is that he's been unbelievable the last two years, but the Bucks still haven't won a series, right? Right. So yeah. That, that's that's uh, 
that's um that's first of all remind everyone that i don't know that anyone needs it <laughs> but i think i wouldn't surprise me to, to see him do some good things we know he, he, he doesn't need a lot to uh to get his uh, sort of adrenaline pumping or his excitement up but again it's going to be interesting to see Giannis when Giannis gets to go at Thon because obviously these two were so close to each other and, and such great friends. But, you know, I, I fear for Thon a little bit when Giannis gets downhill on him. But this is, this, I, I think that that's a little storyline that's going to be um, a bit of fun with these two teams. But before we move on, I, I want to talk about a couple of guys in particular, Chris Middleton and then Eric Bledsoe in relation to this series and moving forward in the playoffs. But uh, while we're here and while we've sort of discussed a lot about Detroit and and what we think about how this series is going to go, if you have to make a prediction right now, what's happening? Well, Bucks and four. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've sort of – I've said this to so many people now that I'm like, am I – crazy but i don't think i am i no. you know absolute max five but i you know i just don't see any way that the pistons are you know going to take a, a game away from this team I, I think this team is too motivated i think they are too focused on the goal which is far beyond this series against the detroit pistons so i think milwaukee get on a roll on sunday they get another couple of days rest which by the way uh, while we're talking, while I bring up that that point about rest, this is important to note that the schedule has the game one on Sunday, game two on Wednesday, and then game three is not until Saturday. So there's been a lot of people that have been tweeting at me and, and, and asking about the status of Tony Snell and uh, Nikola Mirotic. Last night I asked Bud uh, that exact question. I said, do you think that they're going to be okay to go uh, for game one? He said that Mirotic is very close. And, and he is a real possibility. He said Tony Snell is a little less likely. Obviously, it was a very serious ankle sprain for, for Tony Snell. So uh, I, I think, you know, my first thoughts when I seen this schedule for the uh, for the playoff series is that this is really great news for some of these guys, Bucks guys that are banged up, right? Because if you're Milwaukee, you come into this game at game one at Fiserv, there's no pressure for you to play Nikola Mirotic if he's not right. There's certainly no pressure for you to play Tony Snell. We've seen guys step up. Obviously, Ersan and DJ can play the minutes that Miritic would for Tony Snell. We've seen Pat Connor and Sterling Brown's obviously been starting and doing an excellent job uh, over the last couple of weeks. So the fact that there's two days rest in between these games is really, really great news for Tony Snell and Miritic. Uh, if they need to come back uh, you know, for game three and four, bring them back. If the Bucks are two, uh, two zip up, maybe they give them a, a, an extra couple of, of games. Maybe they give them some extended minutes to break in, you know, break the rust off when they come back before things get serious in the second round. So, again, you, you don't want to get too uh, too far ahead of yourself and start talking about all these scenarios. The Bucks need to get through the Pistons. They need to win these games. But these are the type of things that I think they'll be looking at, and I don't think the schedule did um, these guys any harm. I, I think that they will be very happy with that. I definitely agree. It's a, it's a very pleasant... Uh, twist for the Bucks, and I think one thing to note just on the injury front is that you know obviously not having Malcolm and and Miritic and Snell hurts. Tony Snell played in all four games, averaged ten points versus the Pistons. Malcolm only played in two, only put up thirteen point five points a game, and Miritic wasn't on the team for any of those games, or at least didn't play. So that's I mean even you know without Malcolm for two of those games, without Miritic for any of them, the Bucks still handled this team. So. It's nice that, you know, you get this easy opponent in the first round that you know you can handle with all this days of rest. It just seems like we know the Bucks, even without all their personnel, this is a team that they're able to beat. So just an extra sort of comfort level. And, you know, it's almost looking – I mean, we've talked about – and I might be jumping the gun here. I know we want to talk about Chris and Eric, but it just kind of just came to my mind. We've talked about similarities with this Bucks and the first Warriors team before. And one thing that – I talk to a lot of Cavs people. They'll certainly point out, especially that first run, is seemed like every opponent that those Warriors faced kind of had someone dealing with an injury problem. The Bucks, a lot of their Eastern Conference opponents right now are dealing with some injuries. I mean, we just found out a couple days ago Marcus Smart's going to be out for a few weeks. He could miss the first two rounds entirely, and that's a big deal for Boston. And then 
We heard today, I think I read, that Joel Embiid's status is slightly uncertain for the postseason. That could just be subterfuge on the part of the uh, the Sixers. It's hard to say with that organization, but just interesting to note. And, you know, obviously none of us ever root for injuries, but it is something that does change series and is worth talking about. No, I, I <laughs> it's one of the first things that I always come back to when people, you know, over the last week or the last few weeks or last month, really, they've been saying, are the Bucks really a contender for the title? I said, well, yes, they are. I mean, they've won the most games in, in the NBA. They've been dominant. Uh, they've been able to work through uh, certain injuries and they've been able to uh, overcome that sort of diversity late in the season to continue winning games and get to where they are. I said, but now the regular season doesn't matter anymore. And this is what we were talking about in the last uh, podcast is that the Bucks won 60 games and that's unbelievable we're going to look back at that at some point and remember how crazy this regular season has been, how much fun it's been. But this is a brand new two-month season they're getting into. And if you want to win a title, that's how long it is. And sometimes you forget how long these NBA playoffs are. But this is two months. A lot of stuff can happen in that time. Does Malcolm Brogdon get back? And, and is he able to play? And is he able to play to anywhere near the level that he was before? Is Miritich the guy that we thought that we got at the trade deadline? Is he able to shake the rust off once he gets back after having another break? Um, you know, are the Bucks able to? Are the guys that are healthy right now able to stay healthy? These are all the things that can that can completely throw a, a title run on its head. And uh, you know, when you when you do look at some of those injuries, and Marcus Smart was the the, the first thing I thought about when I saw that Marcus uh, Smart injury update last night was all the way back to last um, April when the Bucks played. That series changed when he and came back. It changed. Like it was completely thrown on its head. And uh, it didn't surprise me that that happened. As soon as I knew that Marcus Smart was coming back for game five, I had a feeling that this was going to happen because he's one of those guys that brings that energy. He's one of those guys that completely can lift the team. And he's a little erratic. And, you know, this year he shot well. But back then, not a great shooter. But he's one of those guys that gets everyone up and, and feeling good about themselves. And his return in that series, I, I, I firmly believe, and I've thought this a long time, if he doesn't come back and doesn't play in that series, the Bucks get into the second round, they get the sixes, and then you don't know what's going to happen at that point. So I thought that changed that series completely. He's a guy that means a lot to that Celtics locker room, a locker room that has not, you know, from the outside, got along well. So that's a huge, huge loss for the Celtics. Are they able to get through the paces now? I don't know. The paces are going to test them. I thought that was going to be a long series to start. Now that's going to be a challenge. And these are the type of things that can happen during a playoff run. So, uh, you know, as you said, there's you need – I mean, the big thing is luck. And the Bucks are good. And they haven't been lucky to be this good. Uh, they've just been this good. But in the playoffs, luck is a factor. And if you come up against a team that maybe is missing a key player and you take advantage of that, who cares? I, it, that's what it is. Like you get to the end of the year, you beat who's in front of you and you move on. So for Milwaukee, if, if the sort of the seeds do part a little bit and they get a bit of luck, good for them. They've deserved it. They won 60 games. They put themselves in the position to be there. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. But I, 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 I think, you know, everyone will be following particularly that Embiid story uh, closely moving forward. No, 100%. I mean, Embiid obviously more important to the the Sixers than Smart is to the Celtics, but it's probably closer than people think. Uh, that Celtics team, something just a little off about them this, this season especially. And Smart's one of those guys who it seems like their whole team rallies around, and we talked about last, last year already, yep. but – I mean, I've talked about. I don't think I don't know if I talked about this on pod or not. I've talked about it with people, just you know, in scattered conversations before, for sure. But the Celtics probably one of the mentally weaker groups in the postseason, especially among the top four. I'd say probably number one in the top four. You hear about Sixers chemistry issues a lot, but it's more just like trying to fit it all together than outright chemistry. I think. I mean, there was like some story about Jimmy Butler yelling at Brett Brown once, which doesn't seem like that big of a story, and then not really a lot since then. The the Celtics though have had so many team meetings that have been reported on and everything else, and Kyrie Irving has to update us on how he's leading this team every single month. It feels like it's a lot, and Marcus Smart is one of those guys who's such a huge plus for their chemistry, and probably going against one of the teams that's proven itself to be one of the mentally toughest in Indiana that loses Victor Oladipo and maintains a fifth seed, which is pretty good for a while. They were third after that. 
just hard-nosed team full of gritty free agents. I've heard them, I think Zach Lowe compared them to the Clippers, and I like that comparison. Just a lot of role guys, a lot of them are free agents, but they, they don't care. They're just all playing for each other. And listen, that's not going to be an easy series for Boston. You look at the Celtics and you go, they have Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, uh, Al Horford, who's very important for them, everything else. Like, yeah, of course, they, they should win. But I, I don't think it's going to be a very easy series for them. No, I and um, you know we may as well head down this path now that we've sort of already started. But I mean, you look at the Sixers as well. If they don't have Joel Embiid, are they? I mean, how are they going to go against the Nets? That that is not an easy series. I I really think that uh, you know this this the first round in the East. I think on paper, if you just look at the seedings and you look if all the teams are fully healthy, then you say, okay, well, you know the top four that we thought were going to be at the top four at the, start, at the very start of the season are going to roll through. But I, I tell you that the Boston are going to have their hands full against the Pacers. I really feel that the Sixers are going to have their hands full against the Nets. And again, for the Sixers, as always, it's going to come down to their starting lineup because they've got no one else after that. So if Joel Embiid is down, what are the Sixers doing? Are they starting Greg Monroe? Are they starting Boban? I, I don't know. And this is this has been the big question mark of the Sixers uh, since they since they sort of acquired all these guys. So. I'm really interested to see how that series pans out. Uh, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Indiana, Boston is going to be really interesting. I think the Bucks roll through. I definitely think the Raptors roll through the Magic. But, you know, it's going to be interesting. Then if you get the second round where, where the Bucks have, you know, been in, a, in sort of cruised through and then they, they come up against a team that's been in a long series, potentially Toronto as well. These are the things that affect uh, series also because we know that Potentially, if you get a, a few days off, and again, we, this, you know, we've both said we don't want to sort of get too far ahead, but just projecting ahead, these are the things that can affect sort of a, a playoff run as well. If you get an extended break, maybe a week, maybe longer than a week off, and then you come into game one, you can be off your game a little. So this is the thing with the playoffs is that there's so many different things that can happen. There's going to be so many different storylines that we're going to be following along, but uh, back to Milwaukee, I, I, I really think that there's two guys. So we know what Giannis is going to bring on it, on any given night. I mean, he, he's been doing it now for, for two seasons, really been playing at this level. Uh, but the two guys that I think are going to uh, either catapult the Bucks from maybe a second-round team to potentially a championship-winning team are Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe. So for Middleton... Uh, Look, a, a polarizing figure uh, amongst Bucks fans. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I don't. That doesn't sit comfortably with me, and I think everyone knows that where I stand on Chris Middleton, what I think should happen in the off season, and I'm not going to back down from that. But if you look purely at his numbers from the All Star break, and you know, I, I it felt like me. It felt to me at a time, and look, Chris Middleton's been playing in big games. He's been hitting big shots, putting up big numbers in big games his whole career. That's what he's done, but. When I saw him, the confidence level that he walked into that All-Star game, speaking to him at All-Star weekend, and, and he was mentioning that it has been a process for him to feel like he belongs at that level and playing with those guys and to come out there and play the game they did on All-Star weekend, uh, I, I felt like it was a big confidence boost for him. If you look purely at his numbers from the All-Star break, he's averaging 21 points, 6.3 rebounds, 4.5 assists, and shooting 37% from three. Uh, I mean, he's been a monster since the All-Star. Yeah, I mean, cash money Middleton. I think I think, yeah, he was the first guy that got me talking about 16-game players just because Middleton is all business. Right. Uh, he'll have his random slumps in the regular season that certain actors really love to, uh, to drive up the importance of artificially. But in the playoffs, especially last year, Really, it felt like the first time that this version of Middleton, and, and like you said, I mean, he's a lot more confident even than he was last year, but just locked in, 0% question, destroyed the Celtics. And then I read, I think, Eric's piece about Middleton in the playoffs last year, or the year before, against the Raptors, just playing through illness, but absolutely 100% just a gamer. And I remember reading Giannis was so impressed and enthralled with that, and Clearly, this guy knows that, you know, every game matters, sure, whatever. These games are the games that mattered. And I think there's 0% question that you get a locked-in, high-level Chris Middleton every single night he's able to go in the playoffs, which 
you know, he's completely uninjured right now, as far as I know. It should be every night, you know, knock on wood here. Yeah, no, he, uh, he, I mean, you, you really hit it. This is a guy that, uh, again, through the last sort of three or four years, in big moments, fourth quarter moments, he can even have a game where he, he can barely, looks like he can barely hit the rim for three quarters. He gets to the fourth quarter and he starts nailing all these tough three-pointers. I just thought, you know, when you really look at those numbers and you see uh, how he stepped up and Giannis has missed a lot of games since the All-Star break while they're managing him, and Middleton's been the guy that's carried the load. His, his shooting percentages are on the rise. Uh, he, the way he's been able to distribute the ball, uh, sort of hit the glass a little bit harder with Giannis out. Chris Middleton is, is the guy that has stepped up uh, from the All-Star break and uh, you know, I, I just it's it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone because we know what this guy did last year in the playoffs. Um, he was incredible against Boston, and I think this sort of timeline that that we're seeing of Middleton uh, working back into form uh, is consistent with what we've seen from him uh, in his Milwaukee tenure. And and you know, I'm I'm really excited to see how this guy goes in the playoffs because again, he is playing for a contract, and that can never be denied, but. Uh, he enjoys the playoff pressure. We know that, and uh, I think he's he's definitely ready to go. But the one person that maybe the Bucks fans will have some reservations about is Eric Bledsoe, and and we know what happened last year against Terry Rozier. We know that he's admitted in an earlier story with ESPN through the year that he took a lot of blame for that series loss. And I think you know from the outside, I mean that's totally justifiable. I mean this is a guy that. Uh, he's clearly uh, with Middleton, the Bucks too. So I don't know, 2A, 2B, I don't know, whatever the hell you want to call it. Some people say Bledsoe's the legit two. Some people say it's Middleton. I think they're on the same level. I think they're two guys that are, are crucial to the Bucks' chances. And he had a meltdown last year in the playoffs. So the interesting thing to me is how he responds. Um, for some reason, I don't know why, for some reason Bledsoe seems to be able to lock in and focus better when he's coming up against an elite point guard. I'm not sure Reggie Jackson fits that bill. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, this is a guy that's going to come in really, really super motivated. And I, I think he's a key factor. Is it, Do you have any concerns about Bledsoe? Where are you at with him? I don't have any concerns at all. I think as we can talk all day about how far Bledsoe himself has, has come and he realizes and takes responsibility. You know, he, he did get thrown out of a, a game for a heinous act that, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that really deserved getting thrown out for, but <laughs> that, that the heinous act did happen. The, I haven't got the audio ready. You can't be doing that. Like, we need to pre-plan this. If you want to start talking about heinous acts, <laughs> I need, I need like the audio ready. I figured you, I figured you'd have like a button with you at all times, just in case someone brought it up in real life. That damn Bledsoe. There's that Bledsoe. Um, no, but I think the the external factor that I think should be discussed more is. You know, Mike Budenholzer wasn't the coach of this team last year. And in addition to all the great schematic things he does, one of the things I hear, read, see them, I don't not see, I'm not there, but hear and read the most about Bud is he just connects with the players. And I think, you know, has a really good relationship with most guys. And I think that'll help a lot too. I mean, no disrespect to Joe Prunty, but I just think Budenholzer's got this team's culture on another level even. And I think the players have a lot to do with it. It's not just Bud. But I think really, I mean, there was a lot of mixed feelings, we'll say, about Jason Kidd. I mean, Joe Prunty, that's a lame duck coach. So that's not going to be, you know, that's never an ideal situation when you have that going on. But I just think in this new in this new team, in this new system, new culture, everything else, I just think there's much less chance for a blow-up like that to happen. I heard that button click. I know what's coming next. <laughs> no, I, I dropped my pen. I dropped my pen. I, honestly, I wish I was that quick to be able to get that audio up because I, I think when the, once this podcast is done, I might just go listen to it again because I, I still just find that the most hilarious uh, thing that I've heard in a long time. I wish I had that. Get uh, him so in the sorry, face. Ty has way more faith in me than he should. But <laughs> I, I think the big thing, and this is this is again like going back to you know what you said, what I said. I, I think emotionally, Bledsoe is an emotional player, and I, I, I think the big thing is that the way that the passion he has for playing and the emotion, the emotion he has has carried him to have the great season that he's had. I think for the most part, when Bledsoe is fired up, that, then he engages, then he's locked in, 
and he plays really well. He's a maniac on defense. He starts hitting shots. It, that's the type of Bledsoe you want. But I think there's a fine line before between that and between him throwing a ball at Embiid and getting him th- getting himself thrown out of a game in the first two minutes, which, as we know, we can joke about that and we can say that that was funny. But if that happens in a playoff game, we're not going to be laughing that much. We're going to be saying that that's uh, immature. We're going to be saying that's irresponsible. So uh, I, I actually asked Mark Budenholzer the other day about that incident, whether he spoke to Bledsoe. Because remember, the game before that, or two games before that against Brooklyn, you also got called for a tech that uh, Budenholzer did not look happy with Bledsoe for picking up that tech. So I asked the question whether he's spoken to Bledsoe or where or how they're working through uh, his emotions and how he can keep that in check and how that is not okay in a playoff game. And and Bud said that this is a conversation that he's had all year with Bledsoe. He's regularly talking to him about his emotions, how he can control that, how he can remain calm in situations where perhaps in the past he may lose uh, sort of that mental control and how, uh, you know, you go back to that series last year and it's it's interesting to me when I think about that. Maybe... And this is, again, I'm not out here to attack Joe Prunty, but maybe if Mark Budenholzer is the coach against Boston, he's able to get control of Eric Bledsoe and he takes control of the better player, uh, of the worst player, Terry Rozier, and Bledsoe can do to Terry Rozier what you would expect he would do if these two get any chance to play each other this season. So it's just interesting to see the dynamic, how that's changed. But Bledsoe is going to be someone to watch, certainly emotionally, if he can control that, if things get difficult. Because I don't think it's crazy to say that a guy like Reggie Jackson is a bit... Um, look, he, he's he's not going to step back from a confrontation. He's going to try and get in Eric Bledsoe's head. And uh, this will be a nice little challenge for Bledsoe to prove to uh, his team, I guess his teammates, the coaches, and also himself that he's grown a lot in the last 12 months and this incredible season that he's had is going to end in a really positive playoff series for him, which I think he needs uh, needs to have to uh, sort of um, yeah, re- respond and sort of defeat those demons from last year against Boston. Completely agree. He might see some Rozier if the Celtics make it. I mean, that he'll be the backup right. point guard now. Um, just you're talking about Bledsoe when we talk about these Warriors comparisons. So Bledsoe is pretty clearly the Draymond Green of the Bucks. Giannis is Steph, I think. I just want to say quickly, I make, I mean, uh, I, I, I like Eric Bledsoe a lot more than I like Draymond Green. Can I, I mean. Totally I feel, fair. Totally I, fair. I understand the comparison, but uh, Draymond, man. If Draymond was on the Bucks, I think we would both love Draymond. I think that's probably fair, but he's not. So, you know what? Yeah. To- totally, totally understand. So then Chris is Clay. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Uh, Lopez is Bogut. We're talking about the first the first team. Lopez is an Australian, so it's like... Uh... Just, you know, fudge it <laughs> a little keep bit. Going, keep going. And then, uh, I mean, George Hill is Sean Livingston, the dependable bench point guard who just comes in solid. Yeah. I don't know who Iguodala is. It's kind of falling apart now. I but know. I had something there. You, you, I mean, you started with something, but I, yeah. But no. Sterling Brown, Leandro Barbosa, I don't know. I, I lost it. I lost the plot. Barbosa is a name for the blast in the past, but no. I, again, like I, I understand what, what the sort of the path you're going through because I, I think, um, you know, if you go back to that Warriors locker room, and even now this Warriors locker room, and look, they've got some more personalities now, and I guess Draymond is the guy that, that sort of, uh, you know, can be the, I guess, the ace in the pack in terms of. Uh, messing up all that chemistry. But, you know, I think for the most part, the Warriors have been this locker room that, that has had good chemistry. And I know that, you know, you get Kevin Durant and uh, these guys, and it's changed a little bit. But back to the original team, which is what we're comparing this Bucks team to, I think there is a lot of similarities. And from the way that they've played, the way that they've worked through the uh, the regular season. And again, here we are. We are we are on the eve of the playoffs. It's, uh, it's Thursday night here in Milwaukee. We are three days away, and things are going to get start to get serious. And 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 Bud I, again, I asked him last night. And I said, "Is this a relief that we're finally here, and uh, you've had this one seed locked up, and now we can get ready to go?" And he sort of he sort of smiled and said, I, "I don't know what the right word is for this, but all I can tell you is that the guys have been waiting for this. The guys are ready. The sixty wins was a big achievement for the franchise, but now we just want to get into it. We just want to play, and we just want to get to game one on Sunday." So. Look, this is this is where we're at. This is what everyone's been waiting for. 
Bucks fans haven't. I mean, there hasn't been a season like this for since 1980, 1981. So we're talking. 38 years since since Bucks fans, if you're around in in 1980, 1981, that they, they haven't been in this situation. So this is this is really exciting. Uh, I, I think that Milwaukee in general is ready to get behind this team. The river is going to be green tomorrow. I think is it tomorrow is going to be Saturday. I don't know when it, when the hell it's going green. The hop. I love the hop. Everyone knows I love the hop. The hop is going to be covered in buck stuff. The city's getting ready to go. Fire serves covered in, uh, you know, bucks gear. They, they had some light show tonight, the Fear of the Deer light show and the, and the BMO building downtown. So Milwaukee's ready to go. It's going to be uh, it's going to be an exciting run and it all starts on Sunday. No better way to end it. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thank you, Kane. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com